It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 22nd. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. On tonight's California Report, a close look at the battle still raging over State Proposition 22. That's the voter-approved measure which allows Uber, Lyft, and similar companies to classify drivers as independent contractors rather than employees. Then we take a look at your local news and weather. KVMR's Felton Pruitt sits down with Summer Driscoll, the AmeriCorps Restoration Coordinator for Circle, to talk forest resilience in the run-up to fire season. And we hear KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller's take on the recent warning about carbon dioxide emissions from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. This is the California Report. I'm Mari Bolaños in San Francisco. Classes are canceled again for roughly half a million students as Los Angeles Unified School District workers begin day two of a three-day strike. Princess Benson is a healthcare assistant at Placencia Elementary and a member of SEIU Local 99. She says the district has no respect or support for workers and their working conditions. I enjoy my job. I work with special needs kids every single day. That is my passion, but I don't see the district taking it as that. The district takes this job as a business. I don't look at it as business. Among other things, the union wants to raise the average wage of members to $36,000 a year. Right now, the average is $25,000 a year, according to the union. L.A. Unified Superintendent says the district is ready to return to the bargaining table. We're still waiting to hear whether the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, will appeal last week's court ruling upholding most of Proposition 22. That's the voter-approved measure that lets Uber, Lyft, and the like classify their drivers as independent contractors rather than employees. KQED's Rachel Myro has more. The first thing to know about Scott from L.A. County is that he's unaffiliated either with the union suing Uber and Lyft over Prop 22 or the industry-sponsored driver group. Scott didn't even vote in 2020 when the measure was on the ballot. I think I was a little nonchalant about Prop 22 because I was just getting started with driving and things were surprisingly good back then. He's not sharing his last name, by the way, because he fears the company might retaliate against him for speaking to KQED. Scott says he thought Prop 22 was a good thing in 2020, but his opinion changed after it took effect the following January, and he watched the measure's promised 120% of minimum wage become a ceiling for him, rather than a floor. In other words, these days, Scott says he makes about eighteen sixty an hour. But that's not what independent contractors got into Uber for, was to make 120% of minimum wage. You know, in the past, I was making $30, $40, $50 an hour with Uber. That said, Scott still loves choosing his own hours, 20 to 25 a week. And he's not really bothered by the fact independent contractors, as defined by Prop 22, don't have the same protections as employees do under California law. No question. There are a lot of minimum labor standards laws in California, and I understand why employers find them onerous to keep up with, to comply with, not to mention expensive. 
UC Berkeley law professor Catherine Fisk wrote a friend of the court brief on behalf of a group of California labor and employment law professors opposed to Prop 22. I don't think it's really in the public's interest to have such a large group of workers who are carved out of the minimum protections of state law that exist not only to benefit the workers and their families, but the communities that are affected by abject poverty. There's a long history in California of business interests spending big to convince voters to let specific industries upend, sidestep, or tweak state laws. And the success of Prop 22 at the ballot box has already inspired a similar measure on the 2024 ballot that would overturn a new law that attempts to tackle wages and working conditions in fast food. In a recent talk before the Economic Club of Chicago, Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi said the weakening economy is bringing more drivers, he calls them earners, online, addressing a shortage the company has been struggling with since the pandemic began. About 70% of our earners are saying inflation is actually one of the reasons why they're coming onto the platform, because they can earn flexibly and they can, you know, earn another 500 bucks a week for groceries or Mm -hmm. whatever else they need to live. A report published last year by the industry-backed Protect App-Based Drivers and Services Coalition found only a quarter of drivers report working with platforms on a full-time basis. Last week, a three-judge panel in state appeals court largely upheld Prop 22 as constitutional, but the judges did invalidate 22's most controversial provision, requiring a close-to-impossible seven-eighths vote of the legislature to pass any bills that modify the law. So if either side appeals the ruling, they risk the possibility the California Supreme Court could strike down all of Prop 22 or uphold the whole thing. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health on the web at chcf.org backslash lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. A federal judge has denied an injunction request from the Orange County city of Huntington Beach in its fight over state housing laws. Earlier this month, Governor Gavin Newsom and Attorney General Rob Bonta announced they were suing Huntington Beach for violating housing laws. In turn, the city sued the state, arguing that California could not mandate where and how much housing the city develops. A divided Huntington Beach City Council has been pushing back against Senate Bill 9, a new state law that allows homeowners to split single-family lots. Mexican superstars are stepping in to help residents in Pajaro, who have been displaced by the floods there earlier this month. This week, the iconic Mexican band Mana announced they're adding another concert in San Jose for later this year. 
Over the weekend, they played two sold-out concerts in the Bay Area and vowed to donate a portion of their concert proceeds to Community Bridges, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit assisting in the flood recovery efforts. Alejandro Fernandez will also perform in San Jose in September and has promised to donate some of those proceeds from his concert to help residents in Pajaro. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. Ubidoc's urgent care in Grass Valley is being acquired by a large healthcare system. A press release from the clinic's current co-owner, Dr. Roger Hicks, states the buyer, who remains unnamed, is wrapping up final lease negotiations with the Fowler Center landlords. The urgent healthcare clinic, which first opened in August 2000, is co-owned by Dr. Hicks and registered nurse Linda Rachmill. Rachmill also served as Ubidoc's practice manager. The release states Dr. Hicks and most of the staff will continue seeing patients at Ubidoc's under the new ownership, while Rachmel plans to retire. Ubidoc's is temporarily closed for remodeling and plans to reopen in early April. Tina Vernon, Nevada County's treasurer and tax collector, announced her retirement today. Vernon has worked for the county for over 22 years, 12 of those years in the role she now steps down from. Vernon says she had no plans to cut her fourth term short but that changes in her personal life drove her towards the decision. In an open letter to Nevada County citizens, Vernon writes, quote, This decision is bittersweet and not an easy one to make, but I have learned from a young age that life is too short and you only have one shot at it. She has only praise for the county co-workers she leaves behind. Quote, My mighty staff of eight will carry on and I know that you will be left in good hands. Vernon says the office collects over $330 million annually in property-related taxes and has made $33 million in interest earnings for the county since 2011. She ended her letter by addressing the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, stating it's her hope that they appoint Michelle Bodley, who Vernon calls her right arm, to the role she leaves vacant. Bodley is currently the county's assistant treasurer and tax collector, Vernon's final day as Nevada County's treasurer and tax collector is April 28, 2023. According to the Sacramento Bee, Tahoe area ski resorts are extending their ski seasons as Northern California sees more snow and rain downpours. Heavenly Mountain Resort will stay open into May. The resort says they plan on keeping their lifts running until Sunday, May 7th. Kirkwood Mountain Resort pushes even further into the spring. They've announced plans to remain operational until Sunday, May 14th and Palisades tops them all with a calendar that sees them open through May 29th. The Tahoe area is experiencing a very snowy season. The UC Berkeley Central Sierra Snow Lab recorded 56 feet of snow so far this water year, which started on October 1st. As of March 20th, Tahoe area resorts had received anywhere from 500 to 700 inches of snow this season. According to resort websites, Sugar Bowl saw the most powder with 708 inches of snow recorded to date. Now on to your local forecast from the National Weather Service. The National Weather Service has issued a frost advisory for the foothills in Sacramento Valley region, in effect from 4 a.m. Friday to 9 a.m. Sunday. Temperatures as low as 28 degrees will result in frost formation. Frost will be possible each morning from Friday to Sunday with the coldest morning expected Sunday. Unless you want a plant massacre on your hands, be sure to protect any sensitive outdoor vegetation. 
For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 37 degrees. Showers likely mainly after 5 a.m. Tonight's chance of precipitation is 60%. Thursday, showers with a high near 46 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 24 degrees. A 40% chance of snow showers mainly after 2 a.m. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 35. New snow accumulation of less than 2 inches is possible. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 44 degrees. Thursday, a 40% chance of showers mainly after 3 p.m., partly sunny with a high near 61. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. We're inching closer to summer, which, for many, means the threat of wildfires looms ever greater. KVMR's Felton Pruitt discovers efforts close to home that hope to create a forest environment resilient to one of the area's scorching concerns. The details are coming up. We're talking with Summer Driscoll, the AmeriCorps Restoration Coordinator for CIRCLE, and they've got a workshop coming up on March 23rd. It involves taking care of our forests and keeping them from burning our towns down, basically. Is that kind of what it's all about? Yeah, it's all about trying to foster forest resilience as opposed to resistance. A lot of our current treatments right now for forests are focused on creating resistance to things such as fire. We want to be able to learn how we can create a, a forest that's overall resilient to fire and can healthfully rebound and not create such mega fires. Sounds like something that would take us about three hours to discuss. Can you kind of explain that in about 60 seconds? Yeah. So we're just taking a look at historical data from forests in 1911 and comparing them to forests in 2011 and seeing what the difference is. And the main difference is that there has been fire suppression since 1911, and our forests are much more dense. So you talk about resilience. Where does that come in? What is forest resilience? Forest resilience is creating a forest which can withstand different stressors such as drought, bark beetles, fire, without having catastrophic failure, without having full stand die-off and massive crown fire. A resilient forest can experience these stressors and rebound much quicker. I would hope that since we've been getting so much water, early this year and late last year, that maybe our forests are becoming a little more resilient on their own? Yes, I would, I would hope so, too. Um, that is going to be reducing a lot of the stressors on the forest, but all this water could also lead to a lot of extra vegetative growth, which can also increase fire hazards. So we're kind of darned if we do and darned if we don't in that case. Yeah, so we're trying to take a look at forests health and forest resilience at larger picture. What could we change so the forest, regardless of how much water receives, low year, high year, the forest would be resilient to these stressors. Okay, so this event's coming up on March 23rd, which is a Thursday, um, and this is going to be over at Circle. Yes, it's going to be in our downstairs conference room at 1 p.m. All right, so how do people get information about this? I guess it's go to the, your website to start with? Yes, the Circle website um, event calendar would be a great place to start. 
And if people are computer challenged, is there a phone number they can call to get more information? Yeah, they can just call Circle at 530-265-5961. And if they would like to speak to me personally, I would love to talk. And my extension is 208. So who else is going to be participating in this aside from members of Circle? Um, We have a lot of outreach to community members, also other members of the AmeriCorps program, part of the Sierra Nevada Alliance, will be joining us, and hopefully they'll have a lot to bring to this conversation. Explain to folks what AmeriCorps is. AmeriCorps is a federal program where the federal government sponsors and facilitates nonprofits at receiving help from AmeriCorps members. AmeriCorps members serve a generally an 11-month term where they work with this nonprofit and then receive a housing stipend and an educational award in the end. It's a great way to transition out of college and into the working life and uh, receive help with your student loans. So a lot of young people getting into helping us with our environment in our local areas. Yes, lowering the barriers to entry in helping with the environment. All right, so this is all coming up Thursday, March 23rd. Tell them the title of the uh, presentation, and then once again, give them the website. The title of the presentation is Operational Resilience in U.S. Frequent Fire Forests. And the website is the Circle website, yubariver.org. Spell circle for them, because we, we know there's going to be confusion. There always is. <laughs> S-Y-R-C-L or at yubariver.org. We've been talking with Summer Driscoll from Circle. Thanks a lot for all the stuff you guys do over there. Thank you so much for having me. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued a warning about carbon dioxide emissions recently. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller has this comment. The economy has been in the news lately. And when I say the economy, well, the one and only economy, right? The money economy. Actually, planet Earth has a lot of economies. Anytime you've got income and outflow, you've got an economy. Most importantly, Earth has an energy economy. Energy coming in mainly from sunlight. Sunshine comes in, and then the planet plays with it. Especially, the atmosphere plays with it. Look at the other planets in the solar system, and they are either too hot or too cold. For life. But Earth is just right. We live in what's referred to as the Goldilocks zone. Our moon is also in the Goldilocks zone. But if you look at the moon, in fact, if you look at the crescent moon next Saturday night, which we'll be doing if we're lucky out at the old Danville Highway where it meets State Route 49 about 7.30 in the evening, local astronomers will be setting up scopes. Average temperature of the moon Remember, the moon, too, is in the Goldilocks zone. Average temperature of the moon is zero degrees Fahrenheit, way below freezing. Major difference between Earth and moon, Earth has an atmosphere. Our atmosphere is mostly nitrogen and a good dollop of oxygen. The thing about nitrogen and oxygen is that they don't absorb heat easily. They can absorb heat if you put them on the stove. In other words, if you let them sit on top of warm rock or warm water. 
but sunlight or warmth coming off the rock, warmth coming off the water, they don't absorb that sort of radiation. Perhaps this has happened to you. You're standing next to a piano, and you say something, and the piano hums along with you. It resonates with your voice. What's happening there is that your voice has made the air vibrate. The vibrating air then excites. It energizes the piano string, and the piano string vibrates in resonance. Same thing can happen with heat energy, infrared radiation, and certain gases. Gases like especially water vapor. I'm sure you've noticed on some nights when it's all cloudy, the night doesn't get that cold. Might even stay rather balmy. But let the sky clear up with no water vapor and no water droplets to absorb thermal radiation. The night gets cold. That's because water vapor and water droplets in the clouds are absorbing that thermal radiation and then re-radiating it, sending it back down to us. Water vapor is a greenhouse gas. There are other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, most famously carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is not as strong a greenhouse gas as water vapor, but it does absorb thermal radiation. And the thing about our atmosphere, the thing about our climate system, is that it is not linear. When something is linear, a small change in one factor makes a small change in another. But when things are nonlinear, a small change in one can make a large change in another, which is what some folks are so concerned about as we add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. You no doubt heard about the recent warning issued by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They haven't released the scientific basis on which they issued that warning. When they do, I'll be sure to talk about it right here. For KVMR, I'm Al Stahler. That's our newscast for March 22nd. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and the Nevada City Farmers Market, Saturdays 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. indoors at 505 Main Street, Nevada City. Now through April 8th, featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, and live music. EBT accepted, ncfarmersmarket.org and Sierra View Medical Eye, Inc., serving eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye, on Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, online at svme2020.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.